So we're going to look at, um, we're going to read Romans 8, 12 to 17. We did that last week, but this time we're going to look at verses 15 down to 17. So I want to read all the verses. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So as we've said before, this chapter 8 is uh, about the assurance that the Christian has now um, that having the, uh, seen the substitutionary work of Christ in our place on the cross and how absolutely necessary that was for our salvation and having now come to a living faith in Christ with God, uh, we now see what we now which we, we now see is the result of the work of the indwelling Holy Spirit, and that's what we looked at uh, last time. Uh, we've had our eyes opened, as it were, to see uh, Christ and to see the work of his, his work on the cross. So all of this work for us in history and all this work in us uh, by the Holy Spirit, uh, all of this work um, is leading us to, I think, a, a great uh, conclusion, which will, if you look ahead to verse 30, um, he gives this um, uh, assurance. He says, And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And, and he finishes this off in verse, verses 38 and 39 by saying, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, where he's going with this is he is uh, laying out why it is that you have changed and how you have changed. So you can say then, this is what God has done for you. He has called you. He's justified you. And he's going to glorify you. And we know this and we know that you, we cannot be separated from the love of God. And so this is the great chapter on assurance. Uh, that, we, that we need. And we'll get into those verses 30 and then 38 to 39 in the next few weeks. But for now, we're going to consider, continue considering the, uh, the present, the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. And last week, we thought about how the, the presence of the Holy Spirit uh, enables us to address and kill sin in our lives at the, and at the deepest level. For we cannot uh, deal with sin at all without the Holy Spirit's work in us. Um, I, I was just digressing a little bit. I, uh, somebody used, I know I've used this term, uh, you know, it's 
justification is monergistic, God alone, mono, ergo, ergon, uh, work, mono, er, monergistic, uh, God alone does the work, he, he alone does it. And then I've said, well, and sanctification is synergistic, but, and somebody repeated it uh, in a Bible study recently, and I think uh, I need to explain that just a little bit, <laughs> um, what I mean by that, uh, because it could be misunderstood. Uh, as our confession says, sanctification is a work of God, full stop. It is God who does the work of sanctification. God does the work of changing us into holiness. Now, does that happen without us being involved? Of course not. Uh, we're not passive. It doesn't kind of happen to us by accident almost, as though we, uh, we wake up one day and suddenly we discover we're holy. No, uh, we have to be obedient. But none of that can happen without the prior work of God in your life and the prior work of the Holy Spirit in you. And so in the profound sense, even sanctification is monergistic, but there is a sense in which it is synergistic, you see what I mean? Um, only because we're involved in it. But and it's, it's really important that we understand that only the Holy Spirit can bring about this holiness in us. Um, anyone who claims that they can live a good life without sin... Um, And if you think you can be a Christian without the need of the Holy Spirit, and there are many people who go to church today who believe that you don't need the Holy Spirit um, to indwell you and to, li- and to, come to, uh, to bring you to life. If that is true of you or any of us here, then we have neither understood the depth of the problem nor the scale of the solution that is required to be worked out in us. Uh, for only God, only God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it can do this work of dealing with the sin for us and in us. Now, as we as we look at verses fifteen to seventeen, we see how the Holy Spirit enables our relationship to God. And here we see opened up for us uh, the intention of God uh, to have us enter into this most amazing of relationships with God. Uh, what Paul shows us here. Now is that the presence of the Holy Spirit in the Christian brings a new attitude to God the Father. That he brings an assurance of our acceptance as children of God. He brings us an assurance of a future inheritance that is ours in Christ, with Christ. And at the same time, a degree of suffering before glory. So all of these things are going to be true, just in these few verses. So those four things, let me just work through them with you. Uh, First of all, a new attitude to to God. And this is one of the things that the Holy Spirit uh, does here. In verse 15, as Paul often does, he makes statements by saying, uh, not this, but this. Okay, Not this, but this. And in verse 15, he says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but... You have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And so what does he mean here? He's, he's talking here about uh, the effect that the Holy Spirit has on the life of a believer. Now there's, there's a couple of possibilities that Paul is wrestling with, is, is possibly presenting to us here. Some people might say uh, that 
there's uh, one of these two things going to happen. And the first is, and this is the wrong idea that Paul is challenging, is that you you receive the Holy Spirit, but it doesn't change anything. You, the, the idea that you re- receive the Holy Spirit, but you remain the same as you were before. You, you remain in the same condition that you were in before you were a Christian. That somehow you are still enslaved to sin. And there's nothing you can do about it. And so you, you just make an accommodation with the fact that you're, you're driven by your passions and your desires. And you know who can change it? Kind of thing. And I think there are a lot of people like that in the Christian church. Maybe started going to church and they call themselves a Christian because they're going to church. But their lives outside of Sunday just become the same, or just the same as they were before. Their attitudes are the same. Their heart desires are all the same. But they think that because they're behaving like a Christian on a Sunday, therefore they have the Holy Spirit. But there's no real change happening. Nothing has actually changed. And Paul makes a link here between that kind of unchanged life and something else. He, he, he relates it to fear. Fear of death. Uncertainty about the future. Uncertainty about meeting God. Because you know that he does not kindly on your sin. A life like that, and it's, it's tragic. The, the church is so full of people like this who are not certain where they're going. I'm not saying it's necessarily true of anybody in this church, but there are plenty of people in churches all over the country who have no idea where they're going. And they live in the spirit of fear, believing they've been saved. Or believing something's happened, something's happened to them, but they're not sure they're going to make it at the end. So they have this continual, deep-seated uncertainty about life. And Paul is saying here that a genuine Christian who has the Holy Spirit can never be like that. You see, for Paul, how can someone have the Holy Spirit in such a way that leaves you in a state that is so ineffective, where the Holy Spirit is so ineffective? Well, that was the wrong answer. To remain in a spirit of slavery. Here's the right answer. He says, you have received the spirit of adoption. What does he mean? How does he describe, how does he describe what it is actually like for the believer? And it's interesting how he shows that. He shows that somebody has the spirit of adoption by how he or she now prays. And the words used are Abba, Father. And he's not, Paul is not simply giving a form of words. This is, this is how we address God in heaven, Abba, Father. He's not just giving you the words to say. He's doing something else altogether. Now the word Abba is an Aramaic term, I think, of of, um, respectful intimacy with God. 
Uh, and Jesus used it, Mark says, in Gethsemane when praying. He says, Abba, Father. Uh, and can I just say, some, for some people, they may have heard this described this way, that it's, it's kind of an Aramaic word for daddy. Uh, personally, I think that's too irre- irreverent. It does not carry the weight of the word here. It's a, a respectful reverence for God, um, of, for the fatherhood of God. It is close and intimate, but it is full of honor and respect towards God. And so the, the term Abba adds depth to the, the, the word father. It's the kind of way in which you address your father in heaven. But here's the wonderful thing. That when you have the Holy Spirit, you are able to address God as father. As loving, heavenly father. In a way that you never could before. Previously you may have seen God as. Yes you know he has a label called father. But you you know him as a distant God. A deity far away from you. And you don't know who he is. And you don't know how to relate to him. And now the Holy Spirit comes into your life. And now you say from the depths of your heart. Oh father. Abba father. My father. And this is the difference that the Holy Spirit now makes to us. That the person who becomes a Christian who receives the Holy Spirit finds that this this relationship to God opens up into one of glorious intimacy and friendship. You can go to him with anything that you're concerned about. You can go to him with the confidence of a little child to a parent and ask for anything. Because you know he is your heavenly father. You know that he loves you. And he will always listen to you. And he will entertain any request. Which parent does not listen to any request from their children? You may not say yes to what they ask for. But you'll never turn them away. How much more heavenly father in heaven. So a new attitude to God comes through the Holy Spirit. Secondly, the second thing that comes is a new assurance. Uh, This is what the Holy Spirit brings into the life of the believer. Verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I notice what he's saying here. He talks about two spirits in this verse. Um, And uh, one is the Holy Spirit, spelt here with a capital S at the beginning of the verse. And the other is our spirit. And Paul, I think, when he says our spirit, he's, he's really meaning the, the inner person. Uh, you might relate it to the soul, if you like. But it's the inner person. Um, so God's spirit relates to our inner person and testifies to our inner person. And, and the effect of that interaction with the Holy Spirit with us is to confirm to us that we are uh, children of God. So one of the functions of the Holy Spirit in a new believer is to bring the knowledge and certainty about this new relationship. Um, That I I know for sure that I am his and he is mine. We've entered into that covenantal bond. 
Uh, just we need to kind of just work this out a little bit. Um, suppose you were a child adopted into a new family. Imagine being adopted into a new family. And when you were old enough, you wanted to be sh- uh, to know for sure that you really are in the family or part of this family. How would you go about it? Well, one way is to go down to the registry office and see the, the official documents, uh, adoption documents, uh, and say, well, that's okay, I'm, 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 here's the paperwork. I'm part of the family. But surely a child would want to know more than just the paperwork's in order to be part of the family. A child wants to be able to see from the kind of relationships that he or she has developed in a family, that he or she really is included and part of the family. You know, the kind of relationships you have with your adoptive parents. Are they warm and encouraging and accepting and so on? Is he or she really truly loved and accepted? Is, is the adopted child, does he or she play the same part in the family as, all, as the other children, any other children that are in the family? Treated the same way. You know, all of this confirms what is written down on the page, on the relevant paperwork, but it's what really matters, isn't it? How do I know that I'm part of this family? And this is the way, this is the deeper way that the Holy Spirit works. He doesn't simply say, uh, he does not simply say to you, you're a child of God and show you the paperwork. Um, you can, somebody could come to me or, or, or you can go to a Christian friend and uh, I, I can point to verses for you to, to try and convince you that God really means what he says. I can show you the promises of God. And I would invite you to believe them and to trust in them with all your hearts. But none of that will convince you to believe it. What you need is the Holy Spirit to convince you. So I can give you the verses, but it's the Holy Spirit is going to convince you that, he, that God really loves you and has saved you. That's why we don't say to people, say the sinner's prayer and you'll, say, you'll be saved. I don't know that. <laughs> I don't know if the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. You just rattle off those words. Who knows? But it's the Holy Spirit who confirms what is written in his word and says, this is for you. You are mine and I'm yours. So that's how God assures us through the gift of the Holy Spirit. Yes, pointing, pointing to the paperwork, pointing to the word of God. But the Holy Spirit is the one who testifies to us with our spirits that we are children of God. And I'm sure that that's what you and I want to be today. We, we want to be sure. And it's what I know it's what God wants for us. He wants us to be sure. If we are his. And so the whole, the whole process of uh, enabling sin to be killed, of creating a new, heart, a new attitude of love and heartfelt seeking of God, a new uh, the process of working in us the assurance that we really are his, all that is part of what God is doing in our salvation.
building into us assurance. And that's all a preparation for what is to come. Thirdly, we receive an inheritance with Christ. I think we probably all know what an inheritance is. Some of us may have had an inheritance or part of an inheritance. Uh, for us, it's, uh, it's money or property that's uh, passed down from parents to children or a, a wealthy relative, perhaps. But this is what Paul says about Christians in verse 17. If children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. In other words, we, we look forward uh, to receiving something so marvelous, so wonderful, uh, that whatever blessings we receive on earth, nothing compared to the blessings that we're going to receive in glory. It's nothing compared to what's to come. And we will come into a full inheritance from God. Now what is that inheritance? Well, whatever it is, uh, it is also what Jesus is getting. So whatever Jesus is getting, we're getting. (laughs) Uh, He doesn't go into it in detail here. He says we are fellow heirs with Christ. Now, what is it that he's getting? In some ways, it's possibly quite hard for us to grasp. It's, it's kind of like, I'm trying to think of an analogy. It's like trying to explain to a baby in the womb what the, what the world is going to be like. It has no idea. <laughs> it, it's going to be great, but it has no idea. the baby has no idea. <laughs> and I think that's what we're like on this earth. We're being told. It's a great inheritance for us to come, but we have no idea what it's going to be like. <laughs> It's just going to be great. And it's going to be wonderful. Um, so, and, and the clue, I think, to this is, is to look, to consider what Jesus looked forward to after his death. And we see that in his prayer. Remember his prayer uh, in John 17. And he prays to his heavenly Father. And uh, Jesus says, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Just to sum up what this inheritance is, it's the glory of God. It's the glory of God. Jesus looked forward to the glory with his heavenly Father. And that's what we look forward to as well. Because what Jesus receives, we receive. And note this, that whatever the particulars of what we receive... The primary point is that we have it with God. In Psalm 73, verses 25 and 26, uh, the psalmist says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion, that word portion, inheritance. God is my inheritance. Forever. Psalm 73. And so the best believing Israelites always knew that their ultimate destiny and their ultimate blessings are in terms of having the Lord Himself. The Lord Himself is our portion and our inheritance. So a few years ago, a well known Baptist pastor called John Piper 
uh, brought out a book with an intriguing title called God is the Gospel. Um, Kind of intriguing, isn't it? Some people say, well, it's the cross is the gospel, or Jesus is the gospel, but John Piper says God is the gospel. Why? What he was saying was that the real good news about Jesus Christ is that through him you get God. And the reason that that is true is because Jesus Christ has restored our relationship to God. So is that what you and I are looking forward to? The glory of heaven and and the presence of God. Here's the last thing. The way to this glory is a path of suffering. The way to this glory is a path of suffering. Now with all this glory that, is, uh, that the Holy Spirit will bring us to, one might be tempted to think that we get all the glory now. And uh, there are Christians who think that way. That this Christian life should be uh, nothing but easy blessing. And, uh, and where you know, there's no problems, uh, we, just, we get gift after gift here and now. And uh, there may even be, come in the form of material and monetary blessings uh, in this life. And there's no shortage of people on the God Channel and TBN or whatever uh, who will tell you that kind of thing. You can have all the blessings now. But the final part of verse 17 brings us to something a little sobering. Because Paul says that this inheritance of ours will be provided, will be ours provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified. You see what he says? He says there, there cannot be glory to come without first a measure of suffering. Oops. That doesn't sound so good. (laughs) Suffering before glory. Well, that's what he says. And he seems to be drawing a parallel here. Christ Jesus suffered before he was glorified. Christ Jesus was humiliated before he was exalted. And that's the pattern of our lives. Humiliation before exaltation. And we have to continue to live in this broken world for a time. In in a world of illness, of tragedy, of death, the consequences of our sins and the consequences of other people's sins. But Paul is not just thinking that life is going to be bad from now on. Because there's a... He looks forward to the glory to come. He's not just thinking also about the, the kind of practical things that we face day by day. He's, he's thinking about a particular kind of suffering. And that was his experience that because he's a Christian, he faces mockery and angry disagreement, even violence and death. Uh, maybe that's what we will be called to. And there's the suffering of the struggle against sin, isn't there? We've already looked at that in verse, back in verse uh, 13. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. There is that inner struggle against sin in our lives. And this can be hard going. But Paul is saying that future glory has this necessary precursor that you must go through the suffering to get to the glory. Now 
We're not saying that suffering earns you glory any more than a light switch creates electricity. But there must be struggle in the Christian life. No one should enter the Christian life believing that life is going to be one flowery bed of ease. People need to count the cost. And you shouldn't believe that, what, that you can go through life without opposition or that you can float through life without, without the horrors of your sinful heart coming to light and having to make difficult decisions to get rid of sin. It's simply not possible for a genuine Christian to be like that for the simple reason that the presence of the Holy Spirit will not allow it. And the sure sign that somebody is not a Christian is that he or she has never had to face any kind of suffering for being a Christian. But when you have the Holy Spirit, your eyes are wide opened, not just to what needs to happen in your life, but you realize you have that most loving Heavenly Father who cares for you. That you have a part in that warm family relationship that he has brought you into that you look forward to the glorious inheritance with Christ and that's the fruit of a wonderful gospel to needy sinners let's pray Father we thank you for uh, the wonderful work of the Holy Spirit pray grant to us the assurance that we need that we would have ever increasing assurance that we are indeed children of God And Lord, help us, therefore, as we face the difficulties of living the Christian life in this fallen world. We may suffer, but help us to keep our eye on the prize, as it were, the glory and the presence of God forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.